Hi everyone, welcome to the Raising Primates podcast. I apologize for the delay in getting this out. I was supposed to have it out last week, but I have been feeling quite under the weather and sick, and I will let your imagination run wild in (laughs) figuring out why that might be. Hint, hint. Um, But today on the show, I have a really great interview with Barry Hewlett, who is a professor of cultural and evolutionary anthropology up at Washington State University in Vancouver. And um, his research interests include hunter-gatherers, the anthropology of childhood, and he also studies the anthropology of infectious diseases. So he um, actually went to school down here in California. He got his PhD at UC Santa Barbara. And his dissertation there was the basis of his first book, which is called Intimate Fathers, The Nature and Context of Aka Pygmy Paternal Infant Care. And um, I was referred, I think David Lancey actually referred me to Barry's work because I was looking for someone that I could talk with about fathers and kind of see what some in some societies father involvement can look like. So that's what I wanted to talk to Barry about today. We also talk more generally about his time spent with the Akas in Central Africa. He actually lived on and off with this nomadic foraging society for over 40 years, which is amazing. So he really knows them well, and he has some really interesting lessons that he's taken from his time spent with them, which I found to be really, really quite interesting. All right, without further delay, here is Barry Hewlett. All right, welcome to the podcast, Barry. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Pleasure to be here. So I always love to start by hearing a little bit more about how my guests got into the work that they do and especially since you um, study childhood and that's one of the areas you study I'd love to know if your work influenced uh, your own kind of fatherhood journey or vice versa. Well I mean my interest I mean in children as a you know in terms of my professional life I mean that started really I was working in a head start program um, at program for underprivileged kids in Northern California and that in that program we didn't have very many fathers number one who were very involved nobody talked about fathers everything in the program talked about mothers and their children and I was one of the few male (laughs) uh, workers in a Head Start program and so I became interested in men's participation in childcare. And so I wrote this proposal and it was funded and I went to graduate school and did the particular study with the Aka hunter-gatherers in the Central African Republic. My kids came later. I mean, that <laughs> are sort of along the way, not, la- I mean, along the way. So I, I did not become interested in fathers because I became a father. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> It had to do more with you found yourself as one of the few males in, in education, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, dealing with young, yeah, dealing with young kids. And so that, and that, that also, that in these programs like Head Start, nobody talked about the father-child relationship. Everybody was talking about the mother-child relationship. And, you know, that was the, the focus of the conversation. I just said, something's, you know, not quite right here. So Yeah, there's another person in this equation. Right. <laughs> 
I'm curious to know, had you perhaps read about the Akas before you lived with them? Or did you know that this, um, these people in particular did have a, did have fathers who were perhaps more involved than other societies? Uh, no, um, that my story is kind of different that, you know, while I was working, working at Head Start, I would take time off <laughs> and I would sort of travel around the world and that one of these trips I traveled, hitchhiked across the Sahara and then going to Central Africa and, and you know, happened to meet Aka groups and stayed with Aka groups for a while. And that um, eventually I started to write a little bit, but the focus on the father relationship among the Aka happened probably 10 years after I was already living with the Aka. <laughs> oh, wow. That's really, really interesting that you kind of, it's not a typical anthropologist story where, you know, right, they're doing right. When you go to graduate school, generally you go have a professor and you work under this professor and you go mm -hmm. to the place that the professor went. And, right. But my story is I was doing stuff before I ever went to graduate school. Yeah, that's fascinating. Well, I'd really like to focus our discussion today on learning more about the Akas as well as the, the role of the fathers. But before we start, I do just want to kind of provide my listeners with some kind of caveat, if you will, because um, as we were chatting about earlier, sometimes, you know, people hear certain um certain, you know, parenting practices from hunter-gatherer societies and they think, oh, well, this is the way things ought to be or this is the way we should do things in modern day America because it's, it's the right way to do them. And I, I'm just curious to know if you have anything you want to say about that <laughs> before yeah, we... Yeah, there's, there's quite a large sort of popular literature about that and that those are the kind of stories that get to, you know get into the public and that, you know, that I've been fortunate not enough to live with hunter-gatherers for, you know, about 40 years on and off now. So that, wow. you know, I really appreciate that, you know, what I've been able yeah. to learn. Um, but I think we have to be incredibly cautious about, you know, by suggesting something is natural or that everybody should be trying to do this in terms of childcare um, because parents are generally trying to do the best they can in their particular uh, environment or their particular social economic sort of conditions. Um, but I do think that at the same time that there are, you know, that we can learn and get ideas about and understand diversity about, you know, about, about what to do, you know, what to do with kids, how to interact with kids. Um, and I think really the, the anthropological or sort of this cross-cultural thing, it, you know, that it provides an opportunity for people to see diversity. Mm -hmm. And so if you, you're not comfortable with certain practices like in, in the United States, for example, then you can see, well, there, there are other patterns out there. I mean, just for an example, I mean that, you know, we have this idea of natural childbirth, for instance, and that, you know, that the father's participation in childbirth is central and the fathers need to be there. And, uh, and, and in, 
in the in the, you know in the U.S. context that generally is is important. Um, but the thing is that for the ACA and and in fact the majority of the of fathers in the, around the world are not involved uh, with the in terms of they're not a coach or uh, they have a very limited role in the actual birth. And so that you know that parents or fathers here who just for whatever reason may feel uncomfortable or you know that it's not natural i mean it's you know that <laughs> one cannot say that it's natural for fathers to participate in childbirth it is important here i think because you know that we you know we have particular work schedules that we don't get to be around our children very often and that birthing is one of those instances where people tend to focus and to be around kids. So, I mean, in this particular context, it can be important, but the ACA and other groups provide you an opportunity to understand there's enormous diversity out there. Mm. It seems to me sometimes that we, well, we pick and choose, you know, to fit in with our own values, like you were saying, kind of to fit in with our own value, uh, cultural values. We kind of can look at ethnographies and say, oh, that's an interesting way to do it. Because I know for myself, I had a I had a son who wouldn't sleep unless he was on right. my boob. <laughs> right. So I was like, oh, okay, it's okay to sleep with your baby. Okay, because I hadn't been told that before. You know, that wasn't something... Right part of my yeah. cultural lexicon. So it was nice to know, okay, I'm not going to kill him if I, you know, do this safely. <laughs> so, right. Yeah, no, exactly. So like, yeah, I mean, that's a <clears throat> co-sleeping, is a, you know, around the world that, that is the most common pattern. All hunter gatherers co-sleep. And the thing is that they're not just co-sleeping with babies that like you just mentioned, but they're co-sleeping pretty much throughout their life. Right. And yeah. So that it doesn't stop at age one or two or three, that they're co-sleeping, you know, with somebody um, when you're seven or eight or right. nine. So, uh, so walk us through a little bit more about, you know, what were some of the traits that stuck out to you um, regarding the Akas in terms of, you know, child rearing and, um, you know, how, how different it was to you perhaps, or what were some of the similarities you saw as well compared to our Western kind of way of parenting? To focus on fathers or in general? In, let's start with in general, and then I want to move on to fathers. Okay. <laughs> I think that um, just to start out, I mean, that one of the things that was, you know, over and over again um, jumps out for me is the frequency of touching. I mean, that uh, life among the Aka and, I mean, with children uh, in particular, I mean, you know, that there's enormous amount of touching and physical contact with multiple people. Uh, so, I mean, that, so that infants, you know, under the age of one year of age, I mean, are basically always, always held. Mm -hmm. I mean, and so, I mean, that's where you get in with the fathers. I mean, that it's not just mother, right. that multiple people are, are holding under one, one year of age. And that even, even at three years of age, they're being held around, say, 30% of the time. And so, but, you know, that this proximity to many other people that, 
the importance of touch is very, and I think touch is very important for the development of trust um, in these particular communities. I mean, that uh, people share, you know, they share food, they share childcare, and that in order for those things to happen, that you have to have an enormous amounts of trust. And I think my idea is that this um, physical touch is linked to that sharing. Mm. And I think it's important, as you noted, that it's not just the mother, because I think that can be translated into our modern world as, well, I, I can't put my baby down ever. And it's like, right. No, right. There's I mean, I'm on the Aka that, you know, that, and like, it's, you know, that you have 25, 35 people living in the area of a, basically a very large living room. Mm, um, wow. So that, you know, that the baby starts to fuss and cry, you know, the mother try, may try to soothe and then somebody else comes over, takes, takes the baby and then somebody else takes the baby and so that yeah you're absolutely right i mean that there's lots of other people and very close by you know that it's not just others are sort of willing but they're right there what about aloe nursing i think you had talked about that in one of your papers yeah i know that that's part of the sharing i mean that you know that uh you know and I, just to go back to food I, for a minute that, I mean, that the food, is, I mean, when we say sharing, you know, I'm talking about sharing outside of the household. So that if about 50 to 80% of the food that's brought into the household is shared with outside of the household, given to other households. And so, so this sharing is also, you know, occurs with in terms of childcare, and it occurs with um, with nursing, especially when the infants are in early infancy. Um, that you have other women, um, in particular, interestingly enough, grandmothers um, who are sort of around, and and that mother may not be there, or that mother tries to breastfeed and is. It's not working out quite right. And then grandmother or another lactating woman will take the baby and sort of, and, and nurse. So that it's a fairly common part of early infancy in terms of these allo maternal, you know, women other than mother nursing. And the, the interesting thing is that surprised me were the grandmothers, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. that, because I know these grandmothers because I, because of my ethnographic work, that these are postmenopausal women. I thought, what are they just sort of like soothing, you know, but, uh, and, you know, that, and I've had women who sort of, this is not soothing. They take out the breast and they express milk out and actually squirt milk out at me to show that they are. <laughs> I was going to ask how you, how you checked if they were yeah. still lactating, but I was a little <laughs> worried about, okay, that is really, wow, that's amazing. Yeah. And fathers, I mean, you know, also, I mean, obviously fathers are not lactating, but that fathers, if they're sort of alone and the baby's fussy, it's not, you know, that they, they will. Um, 
try and the father will offer his breast to the to the infant just to you know more soothing and i mean yeah and the, they all always say that they prefer their their mother or the another female to to the male but uh, <laughs> they do off they do try at times wow that is is really fascinating this L maternal nursing happens in early infancy. It does not happen in late infancy. Uh, and I mean, it's very rare to happen. And I mean, it's just more infrequent. It does happen. Uh, but I'd say around 90% of it happens uh, before five months of age. And so that later on, it does become primarily, uh, primarily mother. The infants are among the Yaka. And other hunter-gatherer groups are attached to several people, but they are they can be particularly attached to to mothers. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So, what about what? Um, how does the kind of progression go? As you were saying, as the baby and as the infant becomes a toddler and then becomes a child, what's um, kind of what is a typical day like for a toddler? You know, or a or a preschool-aged child. Well, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, if you're familiar with these terms, but that, I mean, one key feature of Aka and many hunter-gatherer life is this respect for autonomy. That's a key cultural, what I call foundational schema way of thinking that yeah. cuts across many different domains or aspects of life. Um, and so that you have to understand, you know, this is a, fundamental feature of of Aka life and and many hunter-gatherers and this is reflected in the life of of children toddlers or middle childhood or whatever really that it's basically free range (laughs) i love that (laughs) so that basically kids do uh do what they want and and uh, go where they want pretty much during during the day. You know, that in many societies around the world that are not hunter-gatherers, that you have deference and respect towards anybody older than you and particular parents. You're supposed to do what your parents tell you. Um, You know, your parents tell you where to sleep, what to do. Um, And that this difference in respect basically among the Aka and many hunter-gatherers does not does not exist (laughs) and so that you know there's for those of us who are a little bit older there's no difference in respect for people with who are older really and so that and but that's maybe one may suggest that's maybe a downside of this age egalitarianism Mm. Um, but the on the other side it, it's just an example of this, of this cultural value on respecting uh, the autonomy uh, of the individual, be, be he young or old. And so the children, I mean, it's, it's really free range. So they get, uh, you know, they sleep with who they want to sleep with. They go, you know, they go around if they want The Aka are primarily net hunters. If they want to go on the net hunt, they go on the net hunt. Um, and so, so I mean, the, the, the life of the kids during the day is generally with other kids. Um, and as I mentioned, the size of the group is 25, 35. 
people, which means that, you know, you're generally not going to have peers. I mean, somebody who's the same age as you. Um, So that generally you are playing with and hanging out with kids of, you know, various ages and both boys and girls. Well, I think there's tremendous value in, in giving toddlers and young kids as much autonomy as you know it, it makes sense in in the context that we're in because i think this desire to kind of direct their every action or you know teach them their abcs or whatever it is can right. kind of go a little bit too far and i think there's a, a good balance to be found that that can include respect for parents but also you know give kids their much needed autonomy yeah, I, I would say for me, that's one, you know, the first lesson learned for me would be the touch thing. I mean, if we were to learn something from the Akhenaten of the hunter gatherers, one would be the touch. The other thing would be this autonomy and that, I mean, that this is so important to their particular development, to their learning. I mean, the learning is self-motivated and so, you know, they they learn what they want, they go hang out with people they want, they observe particular skills whenever they want. And so that, you know, that, and this is in part understanding egalitarianism. I mean that, you know, if you want people to be relatively equal, you have to respect this, um, respect this autonomy so that, those kind of things, those things sort of go together um, in terms of understanding egalitarianism. And that's something we seem to value in the, we say we value, um, but but in terms of parenting, I mean, really what you see more here is, I'm sure you're familiar with this in terms of the helicopter parenting Mm. where they're, you know, always, hovering above their kids in terms of and organizing and okay we need to go to need to do this in terms of music lessons we need to go do sports and we need to go do this and that the chauffeur (laughs) the child Uh, chauffeur (laughs) yeah the child chauffeur yeah Yeah, what what was your observation of what would happen in the case of let's say two kids arguing over something is it is it kind of like a you guys figure it out or is there trust that there will be a resolution or do adults ever step in? Um, yeah, I mean, kids are kids. I mean, really, you know what I mean? Um, but yeah. <laughs> obviously that, and the thing is that, you know, the conflicts that like, for instance, among the Aka uh, research has shown that their conflicts are about being close to somebody else, you know, whereas among the farming groups, where you have this deference and respect, the conflicts are over material items, mm. you know, um, so that you, you do have, so you do have conflicts and, and generally it's left up, up to the kids, mm-hmm. but you do have sort of, what sort of happens is that, is that if somebody, for instance, if a child takes, picks up a stick and hits somebody else, hits another child, generally the others, adults or basically whoever sort of is around will just sort of go, you know, make a sound, you know, sort of like um, to let the child know you, you don't do that. Mm. And so that you've made, so that it's 
a concerted effort by other members in the community to let the child know that that's inappropriate. Now, if, if the child continues, somebody else will get up and move the child to another area and separate and separate the children. Can I make a comment on that? Because I love this idea, and I think we've really lost it, of like child rearing being this communal thing where other adults are, quote unquote, allowed to kind of, you know, help or support or kind of steer children in the right direction. I feel like in our modern world, since we may not even know who our neighbors are, or know other adults at a park or something. It's like we're scared to even talk to other people's kids, let alone say, hey, that's not okay. You know, if we see them, you know, doing something at the park and we're we're like scared to, we're scared that we're imposing on another adult's child kind of. Right, yeah, and, um, but that's, I mean, that's again where we get back to this idea of trust. And that, and that's where we have the touching and sort of like, and this, and that the thing is that all these different people who were potentially intervening know these, know the children very well. Right. And so that, I mean, I, I, I mean, there are changes in a camp every day. So you have somebody coming in, somebody leaving. So it's not like it's always the same 25, 35 people every day. There's changes. Mm. So there's a norm and you have people, you know, you have farmers coming into the camp and stuff. So that, I mean, I just want to emphasize that. And that's where the, where that understanding the context, you know, that in the hunter gatherer context, you know, that, that other people pretty intimately know others, you know, the children. And so that, so that, Others, you know, like the fathers, you know, they intimately know their children. Therefore, the Aka fathers are different than fathers in the West. One clear thing that I've shown is that they do not have the physical rough and tumble play so characteristic, a characteristic feature of uh, Western or U.S. or European fathers. The Aka fathers do not have this physical rough and tumble play in part uh, because they intimately know their babies and their young children because they're always around them they're touching them they're co-sleeping with them and so they do not need to show their love by this by this physical rough and tumble play let's talk okay so let's talk more about fathers (laughs) it's a good segue and what what do you think it is about the aka fathers that i mean is it unique in Obviously, it's it's different than Western um, typical fatherhood, but is it also unique to perhaps other hunter-gatherer societies? Well, I do have to say that the Aka have been voted um, the best fathers in the world because of this book I wrote uh, where I actually measured how much time fathers spent, the Aka fathers spent with their babies. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that the Aka are relatively unique in the sense of the amount of time that they spend with their babies. Um, That, you know, about half the day they are within an arm's reach of their baby. Um, And by comparison to other hunter-gatherers though, they do stand out, but hunter-gatherers in general, 
by comparison to people with other modes of subsistence, such as farmers or people who raise cattle or something, um, that hunter-gatherer fathers in general are much more involved with their children than are fathers in other ways of life. Uh, but the Aka are sort of like the most among hunter-gatherers, but this is in large part due, for, due to their net hunting. In net, net hunting, men, women, and children all go hunting together. So that during the day, uh, during the day, when you're out net hunting and you set these nets up in like a circle um, and that everybody's participating together. So the thing is that fathers are there during, uh, during the day. It's not like other hunter-gatherers where women may go gathering for nuts or berries or something and the men go out hunting for uh, antelope or something so that that's a very different situation where fathers are not as available i just love this idea of incorporating fathers more because i know when our son was young i mean we weren't going out net hunting yeah. <laughs> that <does> sound fun <laughs> no right. but, you know when my son was born we really my husband got great paternity leave and and we really were pretty egalitarian as egalitarian as we could be right. in terms of child rearing because i really wanted my son to have that opportunity to be soothed by my husband you know to be put to sleep to be rocked and all these things and i'm lucky to have married someone who was in education as well so he was very you know my husband really wanted to be involved and and is of course very very involved with our son and um you know, it's just been such a blessing because I think what perhaps gets lost sometimes when Westerners try to emulate these hunter-gatherer practices, they a lot of times are put on the mom a lot right. more than the father. And I don't see that as, as something that's necessarily, you know, even really beneficial for the, ch the child, as well as the mom, of course, because she's going to get burned out. <laughs> Right. Yeah, no, right. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, right. So fathers are pretty much left out. And the other thing, I mean, just we were talking about maternal nursing. I mean, even uh, La Leche League, for instance, discourages maternal nursing. And so that, oh, yeah. And so that, you know, that we have these issues about people other than mothers. So I really, it, I would agree that it really often falls upon mother, but it also falls upon mother because of our basic living condition in, w in which we live in these totally separate houses and, mm -hmm. and we no longer live with, rel you know, close to relatives anymore. So, um, oh, yeah. so the family is very isolated um, um, and that, you know, you have this incredible dependence upon husband and wife for emotional support. <laughs> yeah. uh, whereas in the hunter-gatherer groups, this is, simply not the case. You don't have that reliance on husband and wife in terms of, there are lots of other women for moms to talk to, lots of other, you know, so that, you know, so that you have lots of others around and, you know, to help. Yeah, and I think you're right that that is, oh my gosh, it's so beneficial. I mean, all my listeners already know that I, like the first thing we did after I realized, oh my gosh, I can't do this alone is we moved back to be 
close to my parents and now we live about five minutes away from oh, <laughs> and very then, lucky. Yeah. I know, I know we're so fortunate that we were, you know, just in a financial position to be able to do that and, and all of this because it's so rare these days that people find themselves able to just, you know, quit their job or go find another job and, and move back, you know, close to relatives. But I think we can still try to emulate some of these practices by just simply getting to know you know, who is around us, who are our neighbors, because there's bound to be some parents and, and, you know, even older couples can be great too. And I mean, I just, one, I mean, I just, in terms of, you know, we, you know, there's sort of work out there, you know, sort of suggesting that father involvement um, early in life for children does contribute to the child for males in particular in terms of growing up to respect um, females much more much more egalitarianism if fathers are involved because if fathers are involved the boys when they grow up have an intimate and clear idea what it's like to be male Mm -hmm. and if they have a clear idea what it's like to be male they're much less likely to devalue those things that are female or kids that are raised by primarily moms um, then when those boys grow up they they're it's not quite sure what it's what it means to be male and therefore they are more likely in in terms of defining their masculinity and being a male it's by putting down things that are female and and describing things that are contrary and so i mean that there is potential benefit Yes. I mean, hypothetically, we, I mean, you know, hypothetically there is, but on the other side, I do want to say that, you know, that this high father involvement may not be right for everybody. I mean that, you know, and as I said at the beginning that every, all parents tend to uh, tend to be trying to do the best they can in their particular conditions mm-hmm. and that high father involvement while maybe, uh, desirable just may not fit for everybody for different reasons. I mean, it can be personality, it can be, um, you know, availability, it can be for a variety of reasons. And because of my work with the ACA, I often get invited to do talks to, to encourage fathers, you know what I mean? Yeah. To go to places to give talks about the importance of fathers, which I, you know, I think we can learn from the ACA, but the context of it among the ACA is quite different in terms of in terms of what life is like here. And so it just doesn't fit for everybody. Well, right, because there are often families who are perhaps depending on a father's income and maybe his job looks like he works 50 to 60 hours a week, you know, and it's right. it's incredibly hard for him um, to be, of course, as involved as, as, let's say, the mom or something. But yeah, so I, I would agree with that as well. Like it's, there are obvious benefits and if it works for your family, that's wonderful, you know, but it's, it's not going to be achievable or perhaps even desirable to a certain extent for every father and every family. And Yeah. Right. In every context. I mean, that you have, I mean, that, that gets to be that gets down to that autonomy again, you know, that, you know, that we have in terms of that we need to respect respect that diversity and the conditions of of others you know i don't now i want to i just wanted to ask your sense because we briefly mentioned attachment and um 
you, you talk about how there are typically many caregivers, um, but babies tend to kind of prefer their moms, which I think is probably universal. But, you know, what is your sense of, of kind of the Western idea of attachment and more of what you saw perhaps in the Aka society? Does it, does it translate well or are there some differences? Well, clearly the big difference is the number of people that the infants are attached to. I mean, so I mean that the infants are clearly attached to their fathers. They're crawling to, they're, they're reaching for, they're fussing for, mm-hmm. you know, their fathers and, and many other people. So um, in terms of attachment theory, uh, that sort of many sort of basics exist, as I was mentioning a minute ago. I mean, for instance, that we know that attachment tends to develop at age six, eight months or so. Mm -hmm. And then you tend to get this stranger anxiety kind of thing sort of going on. And that those kinds of things, you know, you can see those sort of things develop even even um, among the Aka and stuff in terms of having this sort of preference, you know, in late infants. But I want to point out that, you know, we're talking about infancy, that by the time the kids are toddlers, they're all over the place, you know. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And so, I mean, yes, they tend to prefer their mothers in terms of breastfeeding. Um, But in terms of attachment and crawling to or walking to or being with uh, others that you know, that it, the kids are all over the camp. And so, you know, with other, and they're not, one thing I want to point out is that not every, all the people in the camp are genetically related to each other. So it's not necessarily only people who are genetically related to you. Right. Right. The sense I get from attachment theory is that, of course, it's it's very important for children to form relationships with caregivers, but you know, in the sense of, oh, that person has to be the biological mother first no, no, and foremost yeah. is, is not universal. No that, part, no, that part. I mean, it's just anybody who provides that sort of like, you know, regular, you know, sort of regular and sort of sensitive kind of kinds of care. And so mm-hmm. that that's what attachment theory is all about. It's not, it's not about genetics. Um, it's... Mm-hmm. And the thing is that, again, attachment theory is linked to what I was talking about earlier, and that is trust. That in terms of that your ideas about trust of self and trust of others is based upon these early, early relationships. Mm. So we've, we've mentioned trust and autonomy. Were there any other kind of big lessons that you would take from your time with the Aka? Well, I mean, I, I mean, I, I mentioned trust. I mean, I mean, I'm sorry. I mentioned touch. Oh, touch. Yes. I'm touch, sorry. Yeah. And I mean, just, you know, a message for me, I mean, is that stay close to your kids, physically close. And that not, and even if you're not interacting with them, you know what I mean? That, just to be around them as as much as you can, especially in our way of life today. I mean that the thing that the lock, the Aka have sort of taught me. I mean that the reason that the fathers interact the way they do with their babies is because they are regularly around their babies. Mm. Uh, we have this idea 
in in the U.S. and that when you're around your kids, you have to have this very engaging style. Mm. Um, but for me, I mean, you know, watching the Aka, it's simply being around them so that you know your children, you know, as to what they're like, you know, and you you have this intimate knowledge of each other and it, you know, uh, simply by being around each other. And so my sort of takeaway would be whenever you can in terms of taking them to work, in terms of going places, just to be around them as, as much as possible. If you're going to be able to respond to them in terms of where they're at and understanding your kids. And again, but it's when I say be around them, I don't necessarily, I do not mean that you're always engaging with them and entertaining them. Um, you know, we have this idea that if they're around that you're supposed to pay this intimate attention to, to your children and sort of like, you know, we, we, some time ago, there used to be this debate between quality time and quantity time. And we, in the past, they would say, well, if you can't be around your kids very often, you need to provide uh, quality time where you have this intimate, you know, where you respond to your child like a lover. Mm. You're always paying attention to him or her, <laughs> Yeah, you know. And interpreting their every thought and exactly yeah. fo totally focused on the kids. And you don't, for me in watching the Aka, you don't need to do that. Right. I mean, but you, for me, it's sort of like to be around them as much as you can. And so that you see them in different contexts, they see you in different contexts and they learn, they learn from that. You learn from that. You learn more about them. Um, and so that, you know, that, so for me, quantity time does matter um, if you want to. And I think, you know, like we've kind of alluded to, our modern world is set up so that most parents are doing kind of a more typical, you know, 35 to 45 hour work week. And it right. can be very challenging to find the time to be with our kids. So when we do, we feel this enormous pressure, you know, subconsciously or unconsciously perhaps to like, you know, get those flashcards in or, Oh, I got to, you know, yeah. do all this stuff and stimulate them. And, and it's, yeah. it's just, it's more about just kind of being there and incorporating them into just the right. daily routine and tonight we're cooking. So come help us cook and, you know, not being. No, so exactly. Yeah. But, about it. but see, that's also why I feel a little bit strongly about, about co-sleeping because our life here is so demanding in terms of work outside the home why not i mean co-sleep with your kids <laughs> you know what i mean it, i mean that i'm not and again i'm not just talking about about babies um about infants i mean that if we're not and it's just another opportunity to to be close to your kids even though you know obviously you're not and and I, I was going to say you're not interacting, but in a certain way you are interacting in terms of learning, you know, just learn. Well, well, oh, can you still oh, hear me? Can you still hear me? Yeah. Uh huh. Um, I'm getting um, feedback, I'm getting feedback, on, my feedback on my end. Did 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 your microphone pull out or no? Nope. 
Okay. I don't know why. Oh, here we go. It went away. Um, sorry about that. But I, I actually really agree with you. I love co-sleeping. I mean, I didn't ever plan on doing it, which is the funniest part. You know, I just happened to have one of those babies that insisted on it. And, you know, we, we all go to sleep now in the same bed. And, and I, I really cherish that time. I know that it's not for everyone, but, you know, right. for us, it's worked really well. And I'm actually starting a full-time job. Well, it's a 30-hour week job next week. So I do feel like, I will cherish the the co-sleeping even more because I won't be seeing my son quite as much during the day as I do now, as I've been lucky enough to to do for the first couple of years. So, so yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's not for everyone, but right. it, there's something so special about it. And my husband, I mean, he's a convert <laughs> because he was very skeptical at first. And now he pretty much puts my son to sleep. A lot of times, you know, I might come in later or sometimes I put my, I go to sleep with my son. So it just depends on who's more tired. Right. <laughs> <at the moment. laughs> right. But, um, but yeah, we really enjoy it. And we actually added on, we have a king size bed plus a twin. Wow. So everyone, yeah. Has enough room. <laughs> Space, yeah. Well, I mean, in terms of room, I mean that you know the Aka, like you have like four Aka <laughs> sleeping <laughs> on a bed about the size, you know, uh, one by four um, bed. You have four people sleeping on it together. So I mean that. Oh yeah. So that again that it's cultural <laughs> yeah it's cultural. i mean we always room. say we need so much space we need a right. california king and we have you know yeah no, size so bed and, and we have these ideas about space and <laughs> and totally. touching and stuff but yeah no i mean there's an you know enormous sort of diversity out there and that and you're absolutely right. I mean, it, it's definitely not for everybody for a variety of different reasons. I mean, that we have these ideas that sleeping into, you know, a child sleeping in his or her own room increases his or her independence or whatever. Um, so, I mean, and that that's definitely cultural, but right. culture patterns feelings. Culture is not just in our heads. People feel very strongly about it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it really, if I've learned anything after, you know, a year plus of, of just interviewing all different kinds of people that have all different kinds of cultural values and opinions on these things, it's like, you really got to just take into account what is going to work for our family. How are we going to have the most people getting their, you know, needs and wants met in a way that's, that's going to be satisfying. And, and, and it's really going to, increase you know the true meaning of of family which is love and and you know just being there for each other so right yeah no i think that uh you know responding that you know responding to that diversity and understanding individuals you know you know but i think what the you know learning from the aka what it provides is options and that, you know, that people have options out there and that child rearing is cultural. I mean, that the things that parents are pretty much doing are based upon the culture in, in which we live. Um, that, and so that, you know, one of the things about this cross-cultural stuff, the ACA or other groups that we understand options or, and, or if we understand, 
certain things we may not like in our own culture that you see that there's other options that you might have that may be just as good, uh, if not better for your particular situation. Absolutely. It's like a buffet, right? <laughs> Pick what you want, leave the rest. Right. Right. <laughs> I love it. Okay, Barry. Well, I want to be mindful of our time. So I uh, would love for you to let my listeners know how they can find out more about your work and your books that you've published. Um, I, I, in terms of fathers, the best book would be this book I have called Intimate Fathers, uh, published by University of Michigan Press. Uh, that the other place to obtain most anything I have written in a in a journal article would be my I have a web page, and if you just put my name into a Google search, you know it should it should come up. Um, so okay. I think those are the easiest ways to find my materials. Perfect, and uh, my listeners can also I'll have a link to that. Um, that book as well as your university page in the show notes. So okay. I will direct them there. Well, thank you thank so you. much for your time, Barry. It was really great chatting with you. Thank you very much. All right, everyone. That was Barry Hewlett. Go check him out. Um, I put his university page in the show notes as well as a link to his book about the Aka fathers. I always love chatting with these um, anthropologists who have lived with different cultures. I just think it's so much fun to learn about, you know, what are our options? How do other people do this thing? And, and I love broadening that worldview and, and getting some perspective on our own weird parenting ways, right? <laughs> All right, you guys. Well, thanks for being here today, and I will hopefully see you soon. Um, not going to guarantee a date <laughs> anytime in the near future, but I will be back before the end of September. <laughs> All right. See you guys then. Take care.